Well, to set the context of what uh, we just read, Paul has been telling the Philippians about his former way of life when he lived under legalism. Uh, Through his Jewish pedigree and through his uh, human efforts to follow the law, Paul had attained to a pharisaical standard of moral superiority that was above all all others. Uh, He had all his legalistic ducks in a row. Uh, He wrote back in verses 4, 5, and 6, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But then Paul encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. And because of that encounter, he realized that the confidence he had been placing in his flesh was misplaced. No sinner, no matter how zealous they are at keeping the law of God, is able to attain to the spiritual and moral perfection that God requires. And so in verses 7 and 8, Paul tells the Philippians that everything he thought he had gained through the legalism of his earlier days is total rubbish. It's all rubbish, he says. Uh, All his fleshly pursuits to attain his own righteousness amount to nothing. But Paul was quick at that very point to say that he has found righteousness. Uh, He writes in verse 9 that it's not his own righteousness that comes from obeying the law, but the righteousness of Christ that comes from God by faith. In other words, Paul was describing how the perfect righteousness of Jesus was imputed to him by faith. And that's the context for our reading of God's law this morning. Uh, When Paul writes in verse 12, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, he's taking the conversation to the next level by distinguishing between the imputed righteousness of Christ that he had received by faith and his own personal righteousness that comes from obeying the law. And Paul's explaining that the righteousness of Christ that he received by faith doesn't automatically mean that his personal righteousness that he walks in from day to day uh, is perfected. Paul is admitting that in his flesh he continues to struggle with sin. He understands that he is being perfected in his flesh and he expects that he will be fully perfected when he receives the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, but he's admitting that God's work of grace in his life is not yet carried through to its end, that he has not yet arrived at that stage uh, where he will be able to walk in moral perfection. Paul knows that that will Uh, that will happen, but it won't happen until he's called up into heaven. And so he informs the Philippians that his sanctification is still in progress. Not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, he admits in verse 12. I do not count myself as having apprehended, he concedes in verse 13. Now, many Christians at this very point uh, will give a hearty amen to Paul's statements. Uh, 
uh, they'll give an amen because they can relate to not being in a state of moral perfection. And to be clear, uh, there's nothing wrong with admitting that we're not in a state of moral perfection. That's simply stating the truth of our condition. But it is wrong to be content not to be in a state of moral perfection. To be content. We must not think in our hearts, well, even the Apostle Paul admitted that he wasn't perfect, so I'm in good company. I don't need to wrestle against my sin. I don't need to crucify my flesh. My own righteousness is not important because I've received the righteousness of Christ, and that's all that matters. That's the deceptive lie from the father of all lies. Paul is not confessing his moral imperfection so that you and me can be content in our moral imperfection. He's confessing his moral imperfection so that he can express the need to press on in pursuit of holiness. Paul says in verse 12, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for, for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. And he says in verses 13 and 14, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, referring to his legalism, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, referring to his utter perfection of moral character, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now understand that everything that Paul has written in verses 12 through 14, is autobiographical. He's using himself as an example of what it's like to live as a Christian in a fallen world. A Christian who's been redeemed in Christ, a person who's been justified in Christ, a person who is undergoing the process of sanctification in Christ. And after explaining that he, Paul, is not content to remain in moral imperfection, but he presses forward to pursuit, the pursuit of holiness, Paul transitions from explaining himself as an example to explaining what your and my mindset of life ought to be. He writes in verse 15, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, meaning as many as are in this process of sanctification, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. you know, he, he hasn't yet told us what the mindset is in verse 15. Uh, what he says in verse 15 is that we need to have a particular mindset about our moral imperfection. And if we have the wrong mindset, then God will reveal that to us. In other words, God is, is faithful uh, he won't leave you without a witness to your sin and your wrongdoing. He'll convict your conscience when you have the wrong mindset, the wrong outlook of, on, on life or Christianity. Or he'll send you or one of his messengers to explain your error to you. He'll convict your conscience, he'll send you a messenger, or he'll do both. And if you're content to rest in moral imperfection at that point, thinking that you have no need to pursue a life of holiness because Jesus has already done that for you, then God will show you your sin. God will show you your sin, Paul is telling, you, telling us. And then Paul describes what the mindset ought to be in verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained 
Let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. When he says walk, walk by the same rule, he's saying let us, let us submit ourselves to the, to the same standard of righteousness. Let us submit ourselves to the same law of God. Let us have a same mind, uh, be in, be in a, agreement on these matters. So in other words, the Christian who's pressing on in his sanctification, pursuing a life of holiness before the Lord, all the while resting in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, which comes by faith, that Christian is going to live in peace and unity with others. That Christian is going to live in peace and unity with others. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the mindset, one of peace and unity. And so Paul, Paul writes in verse 17 um, to follow his example, right? The example of pursuing holiness before God and pressing toward the goal of the prize of the upward call. Paul set himself as an example. That's why he gave the autobiographical details. Then he tells us to follow his example, and he commands us to note those who so walk. To note those who so walk. Now, why are we to note those who pursue holiness while resting in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith? Because those are our brethren. Those are our fellow Christians. Those are the people we'll be able to live in peace and unity with. So the challenge which is put before us this morning, dear friends, pertains to our walk. How are you walking? Are you pursuing holiness? And as you pursue holiness... Are you resting in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith? Because if you're pursuing holiness without resting in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith, you're going down the path of legalism, the very path that Paul said is pure rubbish. And if you're not pursuing holiness, but you're claiming to rest in the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith, then you're an antinomian. You're just... You're dis- you're dis- you're destroying the, the law that God gave, which is a way in which we honor and show gratitude to him. And you're displaying a life of complete lawlessness, saying, what I do doesn't matter because Christ has done everything for me. The mark of the Christian is to do both, to pursue holiness while resting and the righteousness of Christ that comes by faith. And that is the mark of the Christian. And what Paul is telling us in verse 17 is that, is that mark is notable. It will be noticed. Other Christians will be able to note those of us who are walking uh, according to the faith the, and the example that Paul has set for us. So the question before us this morning is how are you walking? How are you walking, dear friends? How are you pursuing holiness? How are you resting in the righteousness of Christ? And where the Holy Spirit is born witness to you of your sin, remember that God is uh, a gracious and loving God. He's slow to anger, and he's willing and able to pardon and forgive all who truly repent while trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. 
And because repentance includes confession, we confess our sins to the Lord. It pleases the Lord when we confess our sins to him. It shows that we acknowledge our sin and we're trusting in Christ and his righteousness alone. And so, brothers and sisters, let us uh, spend some time in confession right now. Uh, During the next few moments of silence, I encourage you to confess your sins to the Lord. Bring them to the cross where Jesus Christ has shed his blood, where forgiveness and redemption is available.